0: There are few headlines more gut-wrenching than reading about a newborn child tragically abandoned in a dumpster by a desperate mother or father. Well, our guest today, Jordan Guilford of Gems for Gems and Hope's Cradle, is working to make sure that you and I, living in Canada, never read a headline like that again. Hi, folks. My name is Cam Cote. I am your host today of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. For those of you who are regulars to the show, you're used to hearing my, my colleague, my friend, um, an excellent human being. Uh, Peter Boss generally does the intros, but unfortunately, he's a little bit under the weather, and so you are with me today. I, I am the co-host of the show, generally speaking but I am really excited to be uh, with you today. Um, thank you for tuning in, and I'm really excited about today's episode. But before we dive into that, a few quick updates for those of you who may be new. Um, Pro-Life Guys podcast, we are two guys today. I'm just the one fella, but Peter and I, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of pre-born children. We do that by equipping people like you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion. And we want to hear from you. We are always interested in where you're at on the journey of pro-life engagement and outreach, whether this is something that you're doing within your friend circle, with your family, within your community, whatever it may look like, online, in person. We want to help you have better conversations about abortion. That's what the show is all about. Um, and we want to give you some background on things that not only you can weave into conversation, but elements that you can share with the people that you're talking to to help make society a better place because let's let's face it. Um, the world that we live in is pretty messed up, unfortunately. And there's an awful lot of work to do. And thankfully, we have people, as I will get into in just a few moments here, like Jordan Guilford, who are working real hard to make sure that we have better support available for mothers and fathers. But before we dive into that, a couple quick announcements. First of all, exciting. Uh, myself, Cam Cote, I will be hosting a three-week apologetics course live for a maximum of 25 participants on Saturday Afternoons, um, where we're going to aim for 2 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to start on, let me look at my calendar again. We're going to start on Saturday, May 28th. And so we're just over a month away from that. We're going to run three Saturdays in a row until Saturday, June 11th. And this is going to be an hour and a half time where I'll share a little bit of info. And then we're going to crack it open for a bunch of discussion around the difficult, the challenging conversations that you may be having. Maybe you're seeing online, maybe you're having on a campus or whatever it may be. This is going to be different than the five week stuck study series that I did last year. Um, This is going to be a lot more open um, ended. This is going to be a lot more kind of focused on the real conversations that you're going to have. Yes episode or the first session I'm going to do a brief kind of overview on the roadmap of effective conversations. Session two I'm going to talk a little bit about bodily autonomy. Session three I'm going to talk a lot about conversational dynamics, how to maintain composure, um, calmness and clarity within conversations that you're having and I'm going to share for 10, 15 minutes maybe um, at the beginning of each of these episodes. And then, like I said, just bust it open for discussion. Where are you at in conversations? about abortion. How have they been going and how can I help? I, um, As Peter often mentions, I've had over 10,000 conversations about abortion. I've made an awful lot of mistakes, but through making those mistakes, by God's grace, I've been able to develop a lot of um, very effective strategies on how to connect on a meaningful way, meaningful level with the people that I'm encountering. And so if you want to sign up for that, you can go to our website, ProLifeGuys.com. It'll be under the Take Action Courses kind of area. You can register for that. We'll drop a link in the show notes as well for how you can register for it. It's going to be $25. That money goes towards helping build the program, but also helping us engage people on street corners and on doorsteps across the country. This going to go towards part of our internship programming um, and some volunteer initiatives as well. And so if you want to learn more about what a guy like me would have to say about some of the challenges that you are facing, please, please, please do um, engage on that. Second exciting announcement is that we are going to be launching our second quarterly roundtable. We did one back in January featuring Josh Brom and Mark Harrington. It was super cool. Um, Great opportunity for you to ask your questions directly to two um, experts in the pro-life movement. And we're going to go a little bit of a different direction with this upcoming one. We haven't hammered out the date yet. It's going to be in the first two weeks of May, and so stay tuned on that. But we are going to be having two legends in Canada's pro-life movement come to talk about the history of Canada's pro-life movement. This was a topic that we ended up talking a lot about during our last roundtable, talking about how the pro-life movement has changed since people like Mark Harrington got involved. We want to get a little bit more in-depth on the history of Canada's pro-life movement, and so we are going to be trying to draw in, I don't know exactly if we'll be able to get Gwen Landolt, who we featured on Humans of the Pro-Life Movement several months ago, Um, but we're going to try to get a few people who have been involved in Canada's pro-life movement for over three or four decades, um, who have seen the rise and fall of many different movements and organizations and give you the opportunity to pick their brains on how things have changed, what it was like when they got involved, what they're seeing right now, what is encouraging, what is discouraging them. Um, And so again, check out the show notes for how you can get involved. You got to be one of our Patreon supporters to get an invite to that. And so Go to patreon.com slash and you can either sign up to support financially so that, again, we can grow the program, but also you can register as a Patreon volunteer. What does that mean? It means that you are volunteering with a CCBR-related initiative, group, club, whatever. If you're doing pro guys style conversations... Um, Then you can qualify for the different giving levels by giving your time and so um, if you have questions on that don't hesitate to reach out whether through our social media platforms or anywhere else but this has been a really long intro and so let's dive into the meat and potatoes of this conversation as i mentioned off the top we are uh we i am super excited to chat with jordan Guilford, who is the the president executive director head honcho of gems for gems which, let me pull up my notes here, is a super cool initiative that she launched in 2014 to um, connect and support victims of domestic violence and abuse. She's been doing beautiful ministry there, supporting these victims, um, helping them feel dignified and empowered regardless of what it is that they've gone through. They've got incredible programming on the go, scholarships, support, connections with... um, counselors, therapists, all sorts of people, an incredible ministry. And one that we really wanted to highlight um, is a new venture that she and the team at Gems for Gems have taken on called Hope's Cradle. Some of you may remember a conversation Peter and I had uh, with Monica Kelsey several months ago talking about baby boxes in the States. Well, guess what? We have baby boxes in Canada now. We are super fired up about that. We are excited that um, I'm super excited. The first one launched in Alberta was launched just outside of Calgary. Jordan Guilford is working hard to get these baby boxes, these baby... cradles in as many fire departments as possible so that we never again read one of those heart wrenching stories of a baby that's been abandoned in a dumpster by a desperate mother and father or father. And so um, I'm I'm excited for this. I hope that you enjoy the conversation that I was able to have with Jordan. Um, and there'll be lots of info in the show notes afterwards as well for connecting with her, connecting with Hope's Cradle and whatnot. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation I had the, the privilege of having with Jordan Guilford. Thank you very, very much, Jordan, for being willing to join the Pro-Life Guys podcast. How are you?
1: I am excellent and so thrilled to be here.
0: Great stuff. We're really excited to be able to dive into this episode because we've done a similar episode about kind of Hope's Cradle baby boxes in the States because we weren't really aware of anything going on in Canada. We're a show based in Canada, and I got the opportunity to meet you, like, two, two and a half weeks ago or so, and hear about the incredible work that you're doing with Hope's Cradle. And to kick off this show, I'd love to get a little bit of the background regarding kind of when did this come on your radar and how did this come on your radar as an initiative?
1: Sure. Uh, great question. So about uh, three years ago, uh, there was a, um, an abandonment that happened just outside of Calgary, and uh, it was on Christmas Eve and of course on christmas eve it's a, no matter what it's a it's a very sad situation but um this one being on christmas eve really struck um particularly hard and uh yeah so i had been thinking about it i re, i too researched the the baby boxes in the states and i started thinking about what we would like to do and and how i could do it um and then our our board chair is a homicide uh, detective and he worked that case um, and when it came up in court, he approached me and asked if there was anything that Gems for Gems could do, and I said absolutely. And then we brought it to our board. They said absolutely, and uh, and then I've really just been working hard since then. But of course, hard during the worst time ever because COVID hit. I I literally everything was lining up so well, and then boom, COVID hit, and everything changed. And Uh, we had been working really hard to be able to get this across the line with AHS. Um, and so for two years, I kept working at it, working at it. When there was a lull in COVID cases, I tried it again and, um, to no avail constantly. And I understand that obviously, but, um, three times, uh, during that, uh, two year period, I was on the phone with Dave and a new baby was called in. And on the last one, I was like, that's it. Enough is enough. Like I felt very much that the more uh, babies that are found, knowing that we know what the right thing to do is, the more it's on us uh, to have to be able to provide this option, uh, this safe option for surrender. So I switched gears and started looking for a fire department um, because I, at least I had the perception that it would be faster. And uh, we connected so quickly to Strathmore, and it's it was a dream. It was so great
0: that's phenomenal and and that's <laughs> this is amazing I I, I feel like timelines in a nonprofit world when you've got people who are so passionate about a, a mission in particular I'm sure it happens in the profit world as well um, but I I think of that as like oh my goodness three years and and we've already got a baby box into Strathmore I'm sure that in your mind like you said is it's eternity since you started this this initiative and so let's talk a little bit about Strathmore because yeah. I mean I, I live in Calgary um, a lot of we've got folks not only coast to coast in Canada but around the world. What was it about Strathmore that made it the first um, baby box in Alberta? Was Was it you approaching Strathmore? Was it Strathmore approaching you? How did this kind of come to fruition, your first baby box that you've been able to work with in Strathmore, Alberta, just outside of Calgary?
1: Well, so, uh, I didn't approach them and they didn't really approach us. What happened was when I decided to, uh, switch gears and look for a, a fire, a fire department, there was a doctor that I was connected with and, uh, and he had heard, um, about a fire station that was looking and then he connected us. Um, and it was fantastic. It was really interesting because they had already done all the work on their side and we had done all the work on our side. So it was just, perfect timing um yeah they had been working for approximately two years as well (laughs) so it was it yeah it just it lined up perfectly and interestingly um it lined up even more perfectly because the more we researched as well the the rural locations in the united states are actually utilized the most and it's because of the perception that the anonymity is increased for the city girls um, to be city girls and women to be able to go and use those locations uh, without being noticed and, and, uh, and identified. So it actually worked out perfectly.
0: Uh, we're thrilled. Gotcha. This is cool. I'm excited to dive a little bit deeper into the relationship that you've been able to build in Strathmore, but I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. For those who weren't uh, or haven't tuned into the previous episode about baby boxes, um, I'm sure that I'm probably confusing people. I want to say that it's Monica Kelsey um, episode like. I don't know, 60-something probably. I, I feel like we did it just before Christmas. Jordan, bring us up to speed on what these baby boxes are all about. I probably should have asked that off the top. Um, but what is what is Hope's Cradle um, for those who didn't tune in to a previous episode where we kind of focused on this? How does this work?
1: Well, very simply put, it is a safe surrender location for women who feel there is no other option. So uh, obviously, uh, we've heard in the news babies being abandoned. Um, and uh, this is a very simple alternative to that uh, and it really doesn't have to be more complicated than that. It just is a safe place for women to be able to place their babies uh, who want to choose it.
0: Gotcha and and this is a, a like you said kind of a, a, a deposit box in the side of a fire department. it's mm-hmm. it's heated it, there's an alarm that goes off and notifies um, the the fire department. Maybe maybe talk a little bit about, why a fire department and maybe not why a hospital? I, I know that there's, there's lots of pros and cons, and I'm sure that, that you wouldn't turn down a baby box in, in very many places, I'm sure. But maybe walk me through and, and the audience through the idea of why a fire department is such a natural location for one of these kind of safe haven deposit boxes.
1: Sure. So, uh, for starters, we um, we we do things a little bit differently than the states um, uh, on purpose. One of it is that we call we call it a cradle because mm. um, just of the the, the the mental image around a box. <laughs> so fair. fair. Us, and, it isn't, and it isn't a it isn't a box for us, and it is kind of more a box uh, in the states. So we have gotcha. a physical cradle that mm. um, that is on the other side of a of a door on the side of a fire department. And the, uh, on the other side of the cradle, there is a separate door that the fire um, first responders can uh, access the baby. But the reason why we uh, were so happy and continue to be so happy to the point where we want to exclusively move forward with fire departments is uh, because they have uh, their finger on the pulse in the community. They're trusted. There's not the, there's not the same uh, relationship as with police, for instance. Uh, police, there's always that kind of how much Like if you're in a vulnerable spot, how much do you say? How like am I liable you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of just unknowns there where with the fire, uh, with the firefighters, it's it's a lot more um, a community hero type feel. Um, And much more approachable and all of that. So um, there's that. But the other thing, too, is that they're trained first responders. And that's uh, legally a big part of why there's limited places actually to place these cradles, because you need uh, liability wise to be able to ensure that a baby will have a first responder um, accessing them very, very quickly. So, um, yeah, it's worked out so well and, and for so many reasons, but the way it works inside the cradle is that um, when, a, when a mother approaches the door, uh, there's a four step process on the front of the door and, uh, and she opens the door um, and within 30 seconds, there'll be a, a, a very quiet alarm that she hears um just to give her a heads up that someone will be coming very soon but when the door opens itself there's a silent alarm that goes off and notifies dispatch so uh there's kind of a two-layer process there um and then the mother has about one minute uh to to leave uh sometimes up to two depending on whether the firefighters are on a call or whatever but um but then when she closes the door Uh, it's locked. So she can't have access back in there. But she also has 30 days to be able to reclaim her baby, uh, which I absolutely love, because I think there's a lot of different circumstances, uh, namely the safety of the baby that might be in jeopardy in that moment. Um, So I think it's really important to be able to give that option.
0: Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense, and I I'm so excited about this initiative. And and I think that it makes, like you said, a, a million percent sense to be able to partner with the fire department. Um, yeah. Not only because, like you said, everyone's got good vibes about um, firefighters. I, l- like you said, they're heroes in the community. They have such mm-hmm. a regular approach. They've got that medical background. Um, and and we're at risk of getting too far down in the weeds, I mean, there's a podcast, we had all we get down in the weeds all the time. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure that. The process, and we don't have to go through every every minute from um, the initial thought from the mother to the child turns 18 sort of thing, but mm-hmm. um, presumably it's not the firefighters that are looking after this child for the rest of the child's life sort of thing. Talk about the different ministries, the different um, organizations, nonprofits, government agencies, whatever they may be that you have had the opportunity to work with to... Not only support the child um, after they are placed in this hope's cradle, but also potentially support the mother. Because I, I know that you mentioned the anonymity, and so there isn't necessarily uh, a um, yeah program that every mother is going to go into, per se. But talk maybe first about the, the steps that happen for the child, and then we can touch dive into what happens to the mom. You mentioned they've got 30 days. What happens after that, I suppose, as well?
1: I really appreciate that. Thank you for for being willing to go into these weeds because it's yeah. to me it's really important and it's it's um, these are all the issues that we had to consider very heavily before mm. even uh, embarking on this journey. So, um, uh, basically, what happens is when uh, the dispatch when the door the initial door is opened, dispatch is called, uh, the first responder is notified, but as is the ambulance. So the first responder gets there, does their first responder protocol. Uh, much like they would if there was an incident in the house or anything like that. Um, And then the ambulance comes and takes the baby to the hospital. Then their protocol uh, is initiated. And once the baby is, um, there's kind of two paths, I suppose. Uh, If the baby has any form, any signs of abuse, um, now that's a police issue. If there are no signs of, ab- of abuse, uh, then that is not a police issue. One thing that I think is very important um, to, to address here, too, is that this is a legal option. So abandoning unsafely is illegal. This is a legal option. And as such, the mother's choice, I feel, uh, should be very much uh, respected and understood as uh, her actions are, are speaking her choice. Um so, <clears throat> from that point, uh, the current setup is that the baby would then be placed uh, with Alberta um, Children's Aid uh, and go into the foster system. So, that's not something that I feel is appropriate um, at for this specific situation. And the reason for that is because children in the foster care system are being taken, are typically being taken out of unsafe environments and their families always have the opportunity to be able to regain custody if they can make it safe again. And I mean, there's a, a lot of, a huge process and it's a big, it's a very complicated world, but the basic premise is that the, the parent always has, the, the family, the parent always has the opportunity to be able to create a safe environment. After the 30 days, Um, uh, post-surrender, the child's biological parents have no rights anymore. After that 30 days, their biological um, and legal rights to the child have now been relinquished completely. So to me, you have hundreds of adoptive parents uh, desperate for a baby and you have a baby that needs a family and needs the stability and all of that. So my team and I are working closely with an organization called Adoption Options. And uh, and we're trying to be able to make this regular, regulatory uh, shift happen uh, because I feel it's a gray area and, um, and it, uh, I think we can do better for these babies
0: yeah and and I, I so deeply appreciate the wisdom and and the the compassion the prudence that that you've put into this to make sure that um, these children are looked after as best as possible, right it, It's such a I'm sure that I I only know the the very surface of the tangled web of you want to help these biological families, but you also want to help the children, you want a stable environment for everybody. But I love the approach that you've taken of safety, security, stability for these children and trying to get them in Mm -hmm. the best, best spot possible. Obviously, they've been through a lot already, regardless of how old they are, how much they're going to remember when they're older. But they're in a very, very kind of volatile scenario. And I, I deeply appreciate how how much you care about getting them into a, a stable home as quickly as possible. You've worked with adoption options. That's really cool. I, I, I am hoping I'm working on getting somebody from either adoption options or another adoption agency on the show as well. Because I think that, that the audience would be very curious about what this process looks like. Absolutely. Um how are things going on that front? I, I mean, you don't need to spill all the beans on it because I'm sure there's some things that, that are, are undecided yet, but how are things working with that transition and what needs to happen to make this um, transition smoother, to be able to get this, this seamless transition from whether it's a hospital or whether it's a different kind of environment directly into an adoptive home? Where are things at right now and what needs to happen for it to be a smoother transition?
1: Uh, So uh, the truth of the matter is that there's very few beans to spill, um, and I wish there were more. Um, I'm waiting right now. Um, I had a a really good meeting with uh, Rebecca Schultz, um, uh, and she's the Minister of uh, Children's Services in Alberta. Um, I also, uh, she had invited the, um, I can't remember what her name is, but one of the senior people in Alberta Children's Aid to that meeting as well. So um, in that meeting, they were very clear about their stance on it. And um, their stance actually is uh, that they would receive the child and then do everything they could to locate the mother. Uh, And then if the mother didn't want to take her baby back, that they would be looking to the family. And uh, to be honest, and I I voiced this, I think that's... um, dangerous, to be honest, uh, because I think, much like what I said earlier, the mother has made a legal decision, much like she makes a legal decision when she puts her baby up for adoption. And the the legal protocol is not to beat, beat the bushes looking for someone who has a biological tie to take that baby. It is respected that that is her decision. And so I think that this is something that we really need to spend time to to really think about, um, because I. Mothers will choose this option uh, and they're choosing the, the anonymous option. So, as opposed to adoption, which is not anonymous. So, I, I think that we need to really, really take some time to recognize that the danger that the mother and the child could be in in order for her to have chosen this option over others is significant. And if she has opted out of telling her family, that is so vital that we respect that her legally made decision is respected. Uh, So I think some work needs to be done (laughs) is the honest truth and I'm waiting to hear back. Um, But uh, I think, yeah, I think we really need to examine this closely because um, this, this has huge repercussions potentially.
0: Absolutely. And, and like you said, for both the child and for the mother, you, you talked yes. about the, the moms that are going to um, make this incredibly difficult decision to place their child into one of these cradles are not doing so lightly. This is not a matter of, I really need to go grocery shopping and I just need two hours to myself. This is probably somebody who is in a really, really tough spot. And I wonder if we can focus a little bit on the mom right now, or obviously maybe it, it's a father who's placing the child, presumably. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the most Cases, it's probably the mother, unfortunately. Um, but I, I'd love to hear a little bit more because I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is some kind of protocol, a, a, a info package, a letter that allows that mom to be able to share a little bit potentially with her child, share a little bit of information with um, those who are assuming care of this child, so that it's not a a heartless kind of I toss my baby in into this cradle and I walk away and I. I forget about them. This is such a difficult decision for the moms. Maybe talk a little bit about even that that moment of process where they've got a package, they've got a little bit of opportunity to share what what they deem appropriate with their child. Share a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So um, I think it's really important uh, when we're looking at the mother's side to understand that there are there is black and white and everything in between. And most people, like with everything, land somewhere in the gray area um and i i think that's really important because it's very easy to villainize um a woman who would make this option uh would take this option and i and it's 99 percent of the time just not accurate there's um there's issues with trafficking uh, where they might actually feel their baby is better off not in that situation because the baby's leveraged to in order to in order to make the mother do things like there's so many different options there's Mothers that won't be allowed back in their community if, if they're found out all of it like it's it's so big and gems for gems and and uh, with every everyone that we partner with is on the side of having compassion towards the mother not having any sort of uh, villainizing look at them so to that. Uh, We wanted to make this process as compassionate to them as possible, which is why the instructions are on the outside as well and why there's a secondary alarm, which both of those things are not uh, normal for the other uh, options out there. Um, And in that package, uh, it is 100% with both the babies and the mother's um, humanity in mind. So we have a medical form in there for her to be able to fill out anything she's comfortable with sharing, um, the envelope is uh, already addressed back to the fire station and has the postage paid already. So again, removing any barrier possible. Um, so there's a medical form. Uh, we ask uh, for information uh, on the father, on the mother, any family medical uh, history, any complications during the birth. And this this form has been created by one of the members on our board, Dr. Christine Gray. Uh, so everything has really had as many, uh, pertinent professional eyes on it as possible. The other thing that we have is our, uh, our, our organization psychologist, um, has, uh, offered herself as a triage person for anyone who, uh, who wants to utilize her services. So for instance, um, there's a, there's a big thing in the domestic abuse world of not wanting to re-victimize the victim. And that's really what we're trying to, to stop here. So that if the mother needs help with, uh, her mental health with prenatal health, or not prenatal postnatal health any of that that she doesn't have to say her story over and over and over again to different people that we can be the the conduit of, of uh, transferring her story in, in all the pertinent details um so there's that and then there's also um, a form for the mother to be able to write a letter and uh, to her baby and it's guided uh which they don't need to to do what we've suggested but there's, there's leading questions uh, in order to help generate some thoughts and and guidance around what might be important to her, you know, like uh, what their greatest hope for their baby is, um, something about her. And, oh, it makes me emotional thinking about it because it's just, I feel for these mothers so deeply. And I, the other really important part of that is that the baby, and you see this in closed adoptions a lot, a major identity crisis. So what we're trying to do is close that loop so that the mother and baby have that linkage, even if it's not an ongoing thing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I think that is so beautiful. How, and and like you said, just steeping this in the humanity, right? That, yes. that there's a lot of entities that, I mean, bang, 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 we just make this all happen and, and fire this kid into an adoptive home. And, but that, we're, we're talking about people, right? I mean, it, it's yes. so difficult to to keep this away from the abstract statistics of X number of, of children, this and this and this. But like, we're talking about real humans yes. who have stories that have been told and are going to keep being told and that we we can't treat them as though, okay, well, this box goes onto this shelf and it, it's going to be happy there because it's just a box kind of thing. This is a child that, mm-hmm. like you said, may... May have difficulties with that that identity crisis, or or why was I placed for adoption? Why was mm-hmm. what has happened? And to have that connection with the mom, whether whether it, it's an open adoption or whether it's just a letter that they hang on to, that they're able mm-hmm. to have that message from a parent um, expressing that deep love and and um, hopes and dreams for that child. I think that's absolutely beautiful. Um, Thank you. Let's talk about repeatability. I mean, is, is this a turnkey? Is this going to start popping up all over the place? What needs to happen for this to happen in more than just Strathmore? Because I, I know for a fact that this is you're not satisfied with just one spot in, in Canada. Um, where, where do we go from here?
1: Uh, well, uh, my ultimate goal is to be able to have Hope's Cradle be a household name so that um, people don't have to uh, do much work to be able to just know that there is a safe surrender location. To me, I want to be able to see the numbers of abandoned babies go down significantly. Um, and that to me is, is what would be a success for us. And obviously each new cradle is a huge success and wonderful to be able to give that to their community and the surrounding areas. But to me, the ultimate measure of success is not having babies abandoned. Um, so in order to be able to achieve that level of success, to me, they have to be everywhere. It has to be a household name. They have to just be known, um, uh, as, as well known as, as all the other options are. Uh, so they have to be in, to me, I would love to be able to see one in every community or at least within a certain amount of kilometers uh, of every community. They need to be highly accessible. Um, Because the other thing, too, is that, you know, when when you think about Calgary itself, we can put one in every quadrant, which is wonderful. But what happens if someone is really well known? This is the other thing, too, that there's a lot of there's a lot of misunderstandings that it's it's a certain type of woman and it's all types of women, much like domestic abuse affects uh, every kind of every kind of person. Um, this affects every kind of woman. And it's, uh, I think it's really important to understand that because, um, for instance, you take domestic abuse. Some of the people who I have heard the worst stories from are the highest profile people in Calgary. And, uh, that's what are her options? So when she looks at different places to be able to go, she doesn't have the same option because the anonymity is not anywhere in Calgary so that's where options like Strathmore and I want to see a lot more popping up rural in the rural areas as well Um, because we in order to be able to serve everybody we need to be able to consider that anonymity is not the same for everybody Um, so yeah my goal is everywhere (laughs) and across Canada My, my big goal is across Canada that it's well known across Canada CBC has done a really great job of of uh, getting our word out with the the first one across canada and i'm so grateful for that um and we need to do it again and again and again and again again (laughs) to be able to make it so that we can achieve this goal
0: gotcha i love it i i hope that everyone listening is as fired up as we are jordan and and bearing that in mind so what what can not not the quote unquote average person but but let's talk through i mean i, I don't know exactly who's listening to this program Let, let's talk of of how does this happen let's pick a, a random community let's say high river uh, my my mm-hmm. wife was a teacher down in the high river i'm fairly familiar with high river and again it gives kind of that rural rural take mm-hmm. how, how does this happen in high river we need somebody from the fire department do we need somebody from the community what kinds of people do we need to make this happen in more and more communities i guess
1: So the first step is that we need community buy-in from the fire department. So uh, I'm very, like our organization is very willing to help with fundraising, to help all of that. Uh, So the, and and honestly, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be really great traction in any community. Um, But the biggest uh, barrier is being able to get the fire station on board. so, for the average person, approach your fire station and 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 rally your friends to be able to show how important it is to your fire department, uh, and and then and we can go from there. Um, one of the things that is just just so wonderful about the the Strathmore Fire Department is that um, they already had huge buy-in, which was a huge help. But the the captain there, Captain Eric Alexander, um, has stayed on with us so he's part of our hopes cradle team so he can be a resource to help um, fill in the blanks on the fire station side Uh, i understand that until there's many it's probably a bit of an intimidating process because there's probably all kinds of concerns about liability and all of that and eric has already gone through all of that and he and his team and his chief uh, and his community were confident moving forward. So it's very doable. It's just that um, they have to be aware of the uh, desire in the community. And then also the fact that there is support um, uh, from Gems and from uh, Eric as well.
0: Gotcha. I love it. Uh, one thing that you and I will talk about after this show, we'll talk about getting, whether, whether it's a petition form or whatever, that somebody could take door to door for all of their neighbors, everybody yes. in their church, whatever it may be, that they Wonderful. could present to a fire department. Put us in the ballpark, financially speaking. What what are we looking at for kind of beginning to end of, of getting this, this box installed? Are we in, in the ballpark of $50,000, $100,000, $5,000? What what kind of drumming up? I, I would absolutely agree with you. This this. I mean, money money should be growing on trees for initiatives like this, and so (laughs) I'm sure that regardless of what the price tag is, there'll be lots of people who are fired up about it. But but put us in the ballpark on on what this looks like.
1: So uh, the flat cost is twenty thousand Canadian for it, and I'm pretty sure in the states it's twenty four American. And uh, one of the things that we do um, with uh, within that budget is that it's all custom made. Um, so it's beautiful. The set, the setup is beautiful and, uh, yeah, it's really well done. We use local people, uh, to be able to help construct it. And actually the construction team is just spectacular, like spectacular, uh, with construction and the electrical, we are, and they're staying with us for across Canada as well, which I, they're so in our whole team is so in, so it's lovely, (laughs) but, uh, but $20,000 is start to finish completely done. Uh, So literally all the fire station has to do is point to what, where they want the hole. (laughs) And then the, then the cradle is all built around that. The door is built around it. Uh, The only ongoing cost is uh, for the alarm, which is, I think uh, Eric said it's $20 a month or something like that. So it's really nothing. It really, we, we cover everything
0: love it i love it i i mean you think about and and, and this is no um, <laughs> no attack on folks that that want to sponsor a park bench along a beautiful walkway or anything like that but but to think about there are so many people who who want to do something good to to help their community what what better could you do than than a, a hope's cradle that will allow a mother in a, a crazy situation to be able to choose such a beautiful option for her child um, care and support. I, I think that's incredible. Um, so so that's on fire department rallying up the support for the fire department that's rallying up some some financial stuff and I'm sure that mm-hmm. we'll have lots of links and we'll talk a little bit about uh, where people can donate and that kind of stuff towards sure. the end of the program. Yeah. Is there anything else that we need to be worried about whether it's, it's municipal politics, whether it's provincial federal stuff, is, is there any kind of political angle that as well can be addressed or helped by people making their their interest and and or concern regarding this this problem of abandonment what else can people do or is it just focusing on the fire department at this point
1: well i mean the dream would be that it comes top down uh where there's a, a- a government ruling that uh there has to be a certain amount of hopes cradles per kilometers um so that's that is the absolute that would make it amazing <laughs> because right now obviously we're doing it the the slower way and i'm trying i you know the meeting where i met you i met wonderful humans and i'm i following up with all of them uh which is fantastic but um yeah it, that would be an absolute dream <laughs> if we could have that, because, um, yeah, both both funding wise and um, having the government's support. The, so there's no there's no barrier right now. It's just that they could make it much easier.
0: <laughs> gotcha. 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 And and that I. I... <laughs> Say what you will about politicians. I think that if, if we could channel some of their efforts and, and enthusiasm in this area, I think the world would be a much better place. And so we can absolutely work on that Write okay. to your local politician, whether municipal, mm-hmm. provincial, federal. Let's talk about this. Um, before we dive into where we can find out more about you and the initiative, is there anything that I that I haven't asked that I should be asking? I uh, my mind is going a million miles a minute. I'm sure there's things that you wish people asked you about more about this project. Is there anything that I'm missing that that you want to to share with the audience?
1: No, I think that you did a really really great job of being incredibly comprehensive, and I, you're totally right. People miss the mark a lot um, because there's a lot of different intricacies that go into this, but um, I think it's really one of the things that I love the most about this chat with you is that you really looked at it from both the from all three sides, the community side, the baby side and the mother side. And I think um, those three uh, different uh, avenues are, are what makes this a needed B successful um, and C it, it's it's what will be able to make it accessible for everybody.
0: Gotcha. Well, that, that's the hope. Um, I'm, I'm sure that if, uh, if, we, if we think of anything after we, we're done the recording, we can throw it into the show notes. But let, let's um, tie things up with a, a beautiful bow. How do people get in contact with you? How do people learn more about the organization? How do people donate towards making this happen, whether in their own community or another community that might have a willing fire department but may not have that $20,000? How do people get involved?
1: Uh, So uh, we're very happy. Our organization is Gems for Gems and Hope's Cradle is an initiative of Gems for Gems. We also provide full scholarships uh, to trade schools for survivors of domestic abuse as well. And we have an ambassador program. And um, I would love for your listeners to learn more about about all of that, too, because um, it all works together. We're all about empowering the community and leading by example. Um, So uh, you can find all the information on Gems for Gems and Hope's Cradle. Uh, at gemsforgems.com and we're on Facebook and Instagram so uh, liking and following I know it sounds so silly but the bottom line is is that when you like and follow it helps get the word out Um, so yeah I would appreciate that so much Uh, there's also uh, donate buttons on uh, on our website and all you need to do if you'd like it to have to be directed towards Hope's Cradle is just there's an option uh, to leave a note and you just say towards Hope's Cradle Um, and that would definitely be honoured and it also makes it possible for us to be able to fund uh, locations that don't have funding. So for Strathmore, for instance, they partnered with us and split it, the fire station split it with us 50-50, which was amazing because it's all of the members that have donated for that, which was beautiful, but there's not always that option. So, um, but donating and putting a note that's for Hope's Cradle will make it possible for us to be able to do it with uh, fire stations that don't have that uh, resource.
0: Love it. Thank you so much. We'll have all of that information in the show notes as well. Um, and, and Jordan, just to, to, to drop the foreshadowing, we are, I would love to, to have you on again to talk about the greater mission of Gems for Gems. I've been crushing through the website and <laughs> and it was so difficult to stay on track because there's so many amazing things that you do that go so far beyond um, Hope's Cradle. So we're absolutely going to have to talk again. But thanks so much for taking the time to join me this morning on, on the podcast.
1: I, it was honestly my pleasure. And I think you did such a great job of covering off everything. So thank you very much. Gotcha.
0: All right. Thank you very much, all of you, for tuning in. A, a huge thank you, obviously, to Jordan Guilford for for taking the time to chat with me about the incredible Hope's Cradle initiative that you started under the mantle of Gems for Gems. Um, I hope that you're as fired up as I am. I hope that you are as encouraged and inspired as I am when it comes to better support um, available for these children but also through that for the mothers. And that, that's a, an angle that I really appreciated from this conversation with Jordan, that um, so often pro-lifers were accused of only caring about the child until they're born. We, we give up on the child as soon as they're born, mission accomplished, we go back to our daily lives. We don't care about the child or their parents after the child is born. And I think that... Jordan Guilford and her team at Gems for Gems with the the Hope's Cradle initiative have done a beautiful initiative that um, is a great invitation for you and I to get involved with, whether in a significant or in a fairly small um, capacity, whatever it may be, this is an opportunity for us to express our concern and participate in an initiative that is going to support Desperate mothers and fathers and their children, obviously, as well. And and one thing that kind of comes to mind, and we're gonna touch on this on future episodes as well. The number of times I've had people come to activism and accuse me of, well, what are you doing for born children? What are you doing for the moms? What are, are you doing anything in this area? And For a long time, I kind of sputtered saying like, well, well, I'm involved in the educational arm. I'm not involved in the pastoral arm. No, I'm not doing anything in the pastoral arm. No, I'm not donating any money towards these resources. No, I haven't adopted any children. No, I haven't done anything like that. And while there's a principled response, we've talked about on several occasions that regardless of whether or not you are adopting children, regardless of whether or not you are bankrolling, your local pregnancy care center um, doesn't actually... Change the truth that abortion directly and intentionally kills an innocent human being, and that is never an appropriate solution to even the most challenging of pregnancies. I think that pro lifers should have a moment of gut check that, regardless of what your primary focus is, that maybe you can do a little bit in another area as well. Maybe you can donate five or ten dollars. Maybe you can donate a hundred dollars. Maybe you can donate even more towards a local pregnancy care center. Maybe what they need is not money, but um more tangible support maybe they they need. we we had uh, Mary Helen Mills from the um pregnancy care center in Toronto right beside the abortion facility talk about how she had people donate some time towards doing some construction ends she had people donate some furniture things like that um and hopefully you do so out of a spirit of this isn't necessarily my my primary calling, my primary vocation, my primary um, direction of engagement. There's a lot of people, thankfully, that are already engaged there. But if if for no other reason, give yourself a leg to stand on at activism, when people ask you, well, have you ever made a donation towards a pregnancy care center? Have you ever made a donation towards supporting mothers after pregnancy? Be able to say yes at the very least by making a five or ten dollar donation towards a pregnancy care center. That seems like a cheap out. And maybe it is, but for a lot of people, that can stop them right in their tracks when you're able to say, yeah, I have financially partnered with entities, organizations, whatever that are helping moms after their child are born, their children are born. Let's move on to an actual argument or conversation about abortion that it just makes as much as yeah intellectually your engagement doesn't actually compromise the truth of your educational statement i think that there is an appropriate time for gut checking on that of is there a need, as much as I would absolutely say that there is the greatest need in the pro-life movement for more people engaging in the educational arm because we've got folks day after day walking right past um, pregnancy care centers into abortion facilities because they don't think they, they need support. They think that support is available in the abortion clinic. Yes, I would argue educational ends are the most desperate and urgent right now. However, that doesn't mean that no other needs exist. And so whether that's a small donation, whether that's a donation of your time or energy or talent or whatever it may be, partner as well in at least a very small capacity with a local pastoral end, if at the very least, and again, this is not the, the highest aim, this is not um, the, the the pinnacle of virtue or anything like that, but if at the very least to help you in your conversations, to be able to honestly admit that yes, I have or do financially partner with pastoral um, objectives in my local community. And so that's just a, a reflective thought after this very cool conversation. As I mentioned, check out the show notes below for info regarding how to connect with Hope's Cradle, how to get involved and bring these cradles to your community, um, connecting with your fire department and and other um, local areas of need. And so please check that out. Again, as I mentioned off the top, please do sign up for the course that I'll be hosting on Saturdays, end of May, early July, uh, June, sorry, three episodes back to back, um, open conversation discussion, allowing me to try to help you through whatever challenges you may be encountering. And so um, you can find that on your website. Um, with that, you are going to not only get a bunch of time um, with me, but you'll get access to a few other um, resources that we have at our disposal to help you um, navigate challenging conversations. So again, 25 bucks for three sessions. Um, I know that a lot of the stuff that we're going to cover has been covered in bits and pieces around the podcast as well. And so if you're um, 25 bucks is out of your range, please contact us. and We can probably figure something out. Um, but if you're in a position to do so, your $25 um, registration fee will help us build this program and build the engagement that we are doing across the country. And also sign up as a Patreon supporter so that you can be part of our next quarterly roundtable featuring a couple of legends in Canada's pro-life movement. So thank you very much. I appreciate you tuning in. Um, I'm sure next time you'll have Peter back as well, but it's been a joy to be with you. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the day wherever you're at and that you continue to engage in conversations in whatever capacity they may be uh, with your friends, family, and members of community. Thanks so much and God bless.